book for this uh, coming up Friday morning. And I want to encourage you not to give in to the excuse of, well, I'm just not into that or whatever. I, I, I want to encourage you about stepping it up here, joining us for our time. All right. Six o'clock in the morning. And uh, we do. We have a tremendous time of fellowship around this kind of a time. We encourage you to come out and join us. Last week, um, I was able to go back to Minnesota and see my mom and uh, appreciate your uh, prayers for her in this time. And um, uh, just not sure how many more times uh, I will have uh, for her to recognize me or the siblings. And uh, so it's good to be able to uh, spend some time with her there. Um, And it's good to be back. And so... I'm excited because today we start a new series on the character and attributes of God entitled The Excellencies, Beauty, and Perfections of God. Now, if this is something that doesn't stir you, uh, we need to go to a big, huge fireworks display or something. You know, something in the Christian life ought to stir you. And there's nothing better than a study of the character of God. Now, um, I should explain uh, this title. If you look at your bulletin insert, um, you can see the title here. Everyone has warned me, warned me not to tell you what I'm about to tell you or what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> so the reason for this is taken from a line in Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, who, by the way, uh, went to be with the Lord 50 years ago next month. And he, um, he also said, along with this title, he also said this, everyone has warned me, well, this is the first line, everyone has warned me not to tell you what I'm going to tell you. They all say... The ordinary reader does not want theology, so give him plain religion. Interesting that he understood what uh, many wrestle with, and that is when we bring up the idea of theology, we think many of us, not necessarily all, but many of us think like, oh, well, that's that's, uh, when you want to be a really good Christian, you get into theology. Or that's for pastors and seminarians only. Um, it's serious study, and when you get into it, it starts hindering true Christian living. There's a lot of concerns that are, some of which are valid when we start talking about theology. But this aversion to theology may be related to the fact that there are so many varieties out there that we get kind of fed up and kind of throw our hands up in the air and say, yeah, it's just like another guy's opinion. There's, everyone's got one, right? And so we, we can tend to think um, in belittling ways about just the term theology, not to mention God. And so here in this time this morning, you know, it's important that we Understand this as we get started. Understand this business of theology. I'm not going to give you, uh, you know, a, a full discourse on it here this morning, but I want you to remember this. Rather than just kind of throw up your hands when a word, the term and the subject theology comes up and say, ah, that's for the really serious guys and gals. Rather than say that, understand this. God never intended for his truth to be unattainable. God never wanted us to just look at it and say, ah, it's unattainable. From who's, whoever's the youngest here, youngest person here, to the oldest, it's something that we all can learn in and grow in more and more. It's not just for the clergy It's not just for the elite seminarians. It's for all of us. 
And that's what we want to understand. So quickly, we want to look at basic definition of this term theology. It's just simply, most of you probably know this, but it's just from the two words, theos, God, and logos, word, or discourse, or even study. So the study or discourse of God. And at its grassroots level, theology is simply having thoughts about God or discourse about God. Many of us will get into a conversation, maybe at a restaurant or a store or wherever, and say, well, I don't think God's that way. I think God's this way. And, and we get into discourse and discussion about it. Well, that's theology. Like it or not, that, that's theology. Because you are all of a sudden now saying, well, I think this. Well, th- there you go. If it's about God, you're, you're doing theology. Now, it might not be real good, strong theology. And maybe you're thinking, well, how do I know what good, strong theology is? Well, I want to learn and grow in it. And I want us to be uh, not afraid of its presence or its study or its, you know, encouragement so that we would be growing in this kind of a thing. So what's, what's the definition of theology? You know, you can say study of God, thinking about God. Our concern is that we would do good theology. We would do it well. What are some of these basic categories? Number two, basic categories of theology. Well, we start with um, these first two, letter A and letter B, natural and biblical. We could also say that's regarding the revelation of God. God has revealed himself in nature. Well, so too with then our thinking of theology. Um, You look at Psalm 19, it says what? The heavens declare the glory of God, right? Um, Psalm 104 talks about the creation. Uh, Romans 1, 19 and 20. These verses help us examine how God has revealed himself in nature. So it's due to what we discover in nature. Um, I, uh, maybe some of you have seen the Louis Giglio uh, video. Um, some, uh, he's from the, is it the Passion Conference? I can't remember what it's called, but he, he has videos that show um, that, that show forth the creation. It's incredible because they do this, you know, computer generated kind of comparison of here's earth, here's the sun, and here are the larger stars in the universe. And to stop and think, that all just happened by a big bang. And there are some of our loved ones and friends that believe that. And what we want to do is pray that they would see at some point that, you know, God is the truth. That God is the creator. And we want to be a people then that study about this and lift this up and exalt God for what he's done. Okay. So along with that, um, yeah, just a, a study of Psalm 19. So that. The nature, um, we find uh, the study of that, uh, of the study of nature, we can see God's handiwork. Okay, uh, letter B, biblical. Okay, and you realize what the Bible is saying. Uh, John seventeen seventeen, thy word is, what? Truth. Sanctify them in the truth. That, that statement is profound. Thy word is truth. Okay? And so from that, we understand that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's for your life. And so we want to study it in this sense, having a biblical theology. And so theology is that study of God about himself and his relationship with men as revealed in the book, the Bible. So you have to be a good student of the Bible. Okay? Now, regarding God, we're saying we're studying about God and his attributes and his character. Many times, 
with biblical theology, we can whittle God down some way, somehow to uh, our own image. That's, we've got it backwards, folks. And many of us do that. We need to reverse that order and say, no, we don't whittle God down to our image when we study about God. We want to lift God up and uh, allow the word of God, the revelation of his truth to give us the picture of God. So that's an important issue for us, especially in our culture, in our world, where there has been that that deficiency. We... uh, and it's in, it's shown forth in many Christian books. Somehow God's not, uh, we, we want to understand God better. Well, I, I appreciate that. But some of the efforts of the authors to help us understand God better, and it, it ends up belittling God. You know, getting him more into a box so we can understand. That might be an exaggeration there, but still the, the point is, we all can have that tendency. And so what we want to have with biblical theology is to say, let's make God great. I mean, we don't make God great. He's already great. But we want to magnify him. We want to say, wow, look at that. God is so awesome. And you know where that comes from? Not experience. That comes from studying the word. Now, experience then comes in and follows up and says, yeah, wow, God is awesome. But if we're putting, kind of like we end up putting the cart before the horse, we've got to be careful not to put experience before truth. Okay? This is critical. Sometimes this comes across as boring. And it, but it's not. It's got to be critical to our thinking. From, again, the youngest to the oldest, all of us, we must understand this so that it's, it, it, here's the foundation for how we move on today and tomorrow and through the years. So natural theology, biblical theology, then letter C, systematic. Now, I want you to take your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy. I want you to turn there and look at this verse, 2 Timothy 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. And I encourage you to look up the other verses that were given as references for these other categories. But here, systematic theology is now another step in more detail than natural and biblical, if, if we will. 2 Timothy 2, 15. Paul says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling or rightly dividing the word of truth. How many of you remember that from Awana? Yes, Awana verse, way to go, all right. And what this is, this shows Paul's trade, if you will. Paul's trade was a tent maker, right? And what he did was he would have to cut pieces, if we were using the term canvas or whatever, some sort of material that he had to cut. He had to cut it and piece it together just right so there were no leaks in it. No leaks in the what? No leaks in the tent. He's a tent maker. So he used that term to say rightly Dividing the word of truth. You're putting together the pieces in a doctrinal fashion, in a systematic way to understand more about God. So the idea of systematic is simply what? Uh, Kind of an organized approach then. I am so thankful when it comes to this. I'm so thankful for the men and the women who have in, in years past, have put together uh, resource books, reference books for us. Have you ever stopped to look at Strong's Concordance? What, do you think that just fell out of heaven? How about the topical, Nave's topical Bible? Oh, my goodness. 
Scripture treasury, knowledge of Scripture treasury. If you don't have those books, you're missing out. You need to get those books. It's a treasure because it helps you understand God better. You can see it unfold before you when you just say, I'm going to look up redemption. I'm going to look up reconciliation. You know, these words then drive you to who? The great reconciler, God. The great redeemer, God. So study. Study. That's the idea behind theology. And that's where many of us get tripped up. I can't handle study. I can't handle reading. Well, it's available to you. It is. And some of these books that I just mentioned, some of these tools make it much easier, help you in that. So categories of theology, natural, biblical, systematic. And then letter D, we can't forget this. And good theology then is letter D designed to be relevant and practical. Relevant and practical. It's supposed to bring forth a response. You know, meaning that with declaring objective truth, with the revealed word of God, it ought to relate to your very life, your practice. That's the amazing thing about Christianity is that it's something that we see alive, incarnated in a person. Do you? Do you see it? I see it in in you people. The truth is incarnated. Jesus is alive in you. That ought to cause us to be more and more encouraging to one another. Say, hey, way to go, man. That was great. Keep it up. Keep, Keep learning. Keep growing in the things of God. Okay, so it's supposed to be driving us not to just more academia, but it ought to say, what, what difference does it make in your life? And that's what we, with God's help, that's what we will be doing throughout these weeks, right on through December. You know, a study like this could go on for, you know, four or five years. <laughs> really? Oh, man. Talking God. And if we get, if, if there's a, a sense of boredom in my heart with the things of God, then it, it doesn't point out the problem with the, the subject. It points out the problem with me. It points out the problem with you. See, I was born in sin and I needed a savior. And I needed someone to illuminate me. I needed someone to bring about understanding. The natural man does not accept the things of God. And so God needs to bring about new life. He's the regenerator. (laughs) He's the the redeemer, the reconciler. He's the one. Salvation is of the Lord, right? God help us to pass that along more and more clearly. So there's the, the idea behind the basic categories. Number three, the basic dealings. Now, what I mean by this is just some of the issues that we have to deal with. If we're saying we want to study theology, that just we acknowledge certain things are going to be there. We have to acknowledge this. And number one, letter A, we must acknowledge there's the, the infinite versus the finite. That's the first thing we, we face. When we say we want to study about God, what we're saying is I want to understand every little aspect and corner and detail of the universe. Uh, You're not going to. You won't. And in an even greater way than the universe, we're talking about the creator of the universe. And so we're dealing with something that is someone who is infinite versus finite. Okay, so the finite, obviously the finite is you and me, obviously meaning that we have limited, you know, we're limited, period, in everything, our existence, our thinking, okay, our understanding, all that. 
And the Bible describes God as infinite, in other words, without limits. And yet, man is very limited, very much limited, as to show a great contrast. And see, that's why God had to send himself, Jesus, the Son, the God, the Son, in the flesh. He had to do that. Because otherwise, we wouldn't have understood Someone had to come in the flesh so that we might understand more about God and who God is. Okay, let's race through a couple of verses here under letter A, the infinite versus the finite. Proverbs. If you want to just mark it down and listen, that's fine. Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4. Who has ascended into heaven and descended who has gathered the wind in his fists who has wrapped the waters in his garment who has established all the ends of the earth what is his name or his son's name surely you know turn over to isaiah chapter 40 or just mark it down again isaiah chapter 40 verse 12 Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult? Who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and they're regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They're regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You can also mark down Romans chapter 11, 33 through 36, which takes from Isaiah 40, quotes from that. We have to understand, if we're going to be good theologians, this is one of the very first things that confronts us. We have to understand that this is, uh, uh, you know, that the infinite is incomprehensible. (laughs) But don't let that cause you to you know stop your 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 walk your pursuit your study why because god has revealed himself he's given us what he wants us to know in the word letter b there's another issue that we deal with and that is the holy versus sinful the holy versus sinful and obviously most of us in here understand it the bible declares it clearly god is holy he is perfect in holiness see that's a that's a a thought that we need to dwell on more and more and more that's a good thought but holy versus sinful the bible tells us that we are sinful we are by nature enemies of god now here's the thing most of us categorize sin and say well i'm not a murderer i'm not an adulterer i'm not this i'm not that because most of us have grown up in church and so we, we put kind of a category heading over sinfulness and it's like, well, I'm not really that bad like some, you know, murderers who are in prison and, and those kind of guys. You know what? We're missing out on the accurate understanding of what sinful is then. We're missing out. We're saying that uh, because I don't do those things, I'm not as bad. And I would venture to say most of us have thought those kind of thoughts. And yet, what does the Bible say? 
we're, we're born rebels. We're born uh, in that way. And yet the little tiny baby, the infant, is so precious, so wonderful, so, so much. It, it, that little baby is a gift from God. Yet in their heart, no one needs to teach them about lying or cheating. No one needs to teach them about saying no to authority. No one does because it's in their heart. Okay, so. And even, listen, even when the person is now a born-again believer, he or she is still in need of God's touch, God's guidance, God's leadership, God's counsel when it comes to studying theology. Why? It's like the little child with the fingerprints. I get my fingerprints on it, and I can, I can mess it up if I'm not careful. So theology is important that we are saying we've got to uh, go after good, sound theology. Now, letter C. The, another issue we have to understand because Jesus taught it, and that is, letter C, applied versus academic knowledge. Applied versus academic knowledge. Uh, jot down Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. And please listen to that as I read it to you. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Some of you know this. The, uh, the Bible says, that, thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows. That's the key, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things. That's what God delights in applied knowledge where it's activated in your life in other words and this is really the academic side shows our propensity to approach our life of faith in christ is merely more academia a mere mental ascent i and i've met you know no, numbers of people that are like that that they've got everything down every jot and tittle down and yet something's missing and it's really the issue of dealing with people more, understanding where people are at more. It's so easy for me or any one of us to slip into this. And the Bible is full of warnings about this. Jot these references down. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 10. Israel's unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense. That's the warning. We can have knowledge, but if it's just pretense, God's saying, hey, no. Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. The Lord has a charge to bring against you, his people. There is no unfaithful, there is no faithfulness. There is no love. There is no acknowledgement of God. See the practical part of that? Hosea 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. Turn to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, please. Matthew chapter 15, verse 7. Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees. And if we don't get it with this, God help us. Matthew 15, 7 through 9. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. There's the issue. We can know about it and we can spout off stuff about it with our lips and our mouths. But if we're far in our hearts from God, hey, we're, we're part of the Pharisees group. So there's got to be this understanding that it, whatever I'm learning, I want to say, God, please help apply it in my life. Bring, bring, 
Help me to activate it by the power of your spirit in my life. Other, other references about this letter C. Uh, write down Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist is dealing with that when he's, he's seen people coming out getting baptized in his baptism. And he's calling the same kind of thing. And then Luke chapter 11, verse 39. There's also examples in the book of Acts. Ananias and Sapphira. They knew. They knew the right stuff. Right? How about Simon the magician? Same kind of thing. I, I, I want to buy this now. There's no real connection in the heart. No encounter in the heart. That's what God's wanting. I want to share um, here a little bit from C.S. Lewis again. He writes very uh, uh, insightful. Uh, most of you know this if, if you've read C.S. Lewis. He's talking about this issue of theology. Okay. And he says, I remembered once uh, when I had been giving a talk to the Royal Air Force that an old hard-bitten officer got up and said, I've, I've no use for all that stuff. But mind you, I'm a religious man too. I know there's a God. I felt him out in the desert at night, the tremendous mystery. And that's just why I don't believe in all your little dogmas and formulas about him. To anyone who's met the real thing, they all seem so petty, pedantic, and unreal. C.S. Lewis says this. Now, in a sense, I quite agreed with that man. I think he had probably a real experience of God in the desert. And when he turned from that experience to the Christian creeds, I think he really was turning from something real to something less real. In the same way, if a man has looked at the Atlantic Ocean from the beach and then goes and looks at a map of the Atlantic, he also will be turning from something real to something less real turning from real waves to a bit of colored paper. But here comes the point. The map is admittedly only colored paper. But there are two things you have to remember about it. In the first place, it is based on what hundreds and thousands of people have found out by sailing the real Atlantic Ocean. In that way, it has behind it, it, has behind it masses of experience just as real as the one you could have had from the beach. Only while yours would be a single isolated glimpse, the map fits all those different experiences together. In the second place, if you want to go anywhere, the map is absolutely necessary. As long as you are content with walks on the beach, your own glimpses are far more fun than looking at a map. But the map is going to be more use than walks on the beach if you want to get to America. (laughs) Now, theology is like the map. Merely learning and thinking about Christian doctrines, if you stop there, is less real and less exciting than the sort of thing my friend got in the desert. Doctrines are not God. They are only a kind of map. But the map is based on the experience of hundreds of people who really were in touch with God. Experiences compared with which any uh, thrills or pious feelings you or I are likely to get on our own way are very elementary and very confused. So anyway, I, I could read some more, but that gives you the idea of that illustration, a very helpful illustration when it comes to theology. Are you using the map? I know, for me, guys, uh, I know the way. I don't need a map. I don't need the GPS. Uh. But see, here in theology, this is what we really need because we're so limited in our vision of it. And we need that help. So, okay, moving on. Number four, basic participants. Basic participants. What do I mean by this? Well, let me read this quote to you from A.W. Tozer, another uh, great theologian. He says this, Without a doubt, the mightiest thought the mind can entertain is the thought of God. It gets back to saying, youngest to oldest. You have a thought about God. 
That's the greatest thing you can entertain your mind in. What enters our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So in essence, everyone is a theologian. Get this. From the apostles to the last atheist on earth. They're all, they're all theologians. Some are good, some are bad. How about this? From Linus and Lucy and Charlie Brown to Bart and Homer Simpson. Cartoon figures, but you know what? Through their mouths and through their drawings, theology comes forth. And it's amazing what little children are exposed to at such a young age from all the garbage that's on TV. What about uh, John Stewart, the comedian, news anchor person? He's a theologian. Bill O'Reilly, he's a theologian. I hope you, you don't subscribe to their theology. <laughs> it's not good. You know, even in the sports world, from Jackie Robinson to Tim Tebow, theology, theology comes forth in one way or another. And so it is with you and I. We all think thoughts about God. So the question is not whether we are theologians. We are. The question is whether we are theologians that are committed to carefully speaking the true words of God and to knowing and sharing his word as faithfully as we can. That's what we're about here. That's what we want to do. And so I want to encourage you about being good Bereans, Acts chapter 17, hearing the message from, in that context, hearing the message from the Apostle Paul, and the Bereans still went out and searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. That's your source of truth. If I'm saying something that isn't on target, I need to be challenged with it. And I know I've got some men in my life that keep me you know, that, that bring it up and, and aren't afraid to say it. And that's important in this day and age. So, basic participants, you, you're a theologian. Basic results, number five, basic results is that good theology truly, letter A, glorifies God. Number one, it's truly glorifies God. This is really our first and foremost concern as believers to make much of God, to boast in him as your great treasure, not your uh, fourth priority in your life, but as your great treasure to lift him up, to worship him alone. We're going to talk about some of these uh, things in the, in the weeks to come that'll hopefully get more detailed, but we need to be a people that are first and foremost concerned about glorifying God in our lives. And along with that, the flip side, so that we are not stealing his glory. You say, oh, I'd never do that. Yes, you and I stumble in that way by somehow, in some way, stealing his glory, obscuring his glory. And so that right there provides massive amount of motivation for you as a Christian to grow. For you as a Christian to say, I want to glorify God in my life because there's such a great tendency for me to obscure your glory, O oh God. Even if you've been saved for 50 years, there's still that tendency that you can have to Obscure his glory. So sound and good theology will know, seek, display the beauty and glory of God in Christ. It's all about God. And so in the future, when we talk about salvation, what we have to do is, re you know, is make sure we're clearly thinking about salvation. Why? Because it's your, it's about your eternity. And if we get that wrong, what are the consequences? And so it's important that we get that right. And God is sovereign over that. God is the one who called you. God is the one. 
And some of us have trouble with certain terms in the Bible. We can't allow that to bother us. We can't allow that to stop us from studying this topic more and more. It wasn't your idea to get right with God. You didn't come up and say, I figure out the puzzle. You didn't do that. God brought that about through the work of his spirit. And we've got to promote that rather than a more of a man-centered kind of a, a theology. And believe me, they're out there. Those kind of, that kind of teaching. So letter A, good theology is going to truly glorify God. Letter B, good theology equips the believer by showing who God is and who we really are before him. It's truth. It reminds us that we are fallen and broken and how prone we are to steal glory for ourselves. Good theology is also going to, and this is still under letter B, good theology is going to humble us. And that is critical. That is so important, folks. Our memory verse, okay? God's opposed to the proud. That's just overall. I mean, that, that involves everyone. God's opposed to the proud, okay? So we need to learn about, about this. So good theology equips the believer. Uh, Ephesians 4.12. You want to mark that down, Ephesians 4.12. And 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God, okay? And it's profitable for training in righteousness, for correction. Those, those kind of things that are mentioned there. It equips the believer. Letter C, it edifies the church. It can't simply be a matter of, well, it equips you, great. It's got to be something that is edifying the body of believers so that as a group, we're saying, here we go. We're sensing, you know, the building up of the body. And I don't care what kind of number we have that shows up attendance-wise. Numbers-wise, God's not concerned about... Yeah, there's reports in the book of Acts about a certain number of people that came to faith in Christ. But right now, you know what? If we have whatever number we have here and we are growing in the things of God and our, the roots of our lives are growing deep in the word of God, that's great. That's what we want. So that when people come and visit, they can sense, wow, these people really love God. They love his word. They take however many minutes to talk about, you know, having a message about it. So letter C edifies the church. Letter D, and here's our last point, elevates love for God. And this is what I want you to take today. If we are saying we want good theology, we, wanna, we, we don't want to um, hold back from it. We want to grow in theology and study of God. Here's what it does. It ought to stir up the fire in your life for love for God. The core of theology, listen, the core of theology is that it's not an extra special part of Christian living. It's not for extra credit for God. It boils down to loving God. What's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart and soul and mind. Why is it that in my life, and maybe your life too, it seems like I, I think that I got the heart and soul down. But the mind is like, well, that's a little weak. Why is that? I have to then back up from that whole thing and say, maybe all three are not that good. You know what? This is designed to bring a challenge to us. Is the fire for the love of God stoked in your life? Is it burning? Or is it just all academia? <laughs> and so we want to say, let's, let's, yes, let's learn. Let's grow in our thinking, in our minds to love God. Not just to add, so I can be a good debater. 
but so that I will, in those moments where no one's watching, I can say, God, I love you. And here's why. Let me talk about it with you. And I'm afraid. I'm afraid in a sense. We've got so much garbage and gunk in our lives. I don't know. It's like. I can say it. I can give it lip service. I can say, yeah, I love God. But I want to make sure. That I'm walking and living and thinking in a way that shows that love for God. We have been so familiar with that term, love God. Oh, I love God and God loves me. We're so familiar with those kind of terms. But let's go beneath the surface, the surface, sorry, go beneath the surface to say, you know, in my mind, am I loving God? Can I turn the TV off and go spend time praying? Can I hang on to some of my money that I'd like to shop for this and this and, and maybe give to this person that I know is in need? Those kind of things start showing more. I'm, I'm adding to the fire to love God. And it's not a matter of saying I can be braggadocious about it and say, oh, yeah, look at me. No. You do it when no one's looking. But all the while in your heart, what's happening? Is the fire burning stronger and stronger? Love for God. You know what? It relates in a way to our children and our grandchildren and our spouses, um, you know, being able to say, ah, let me show you some pictures of my grandchildren. Well, you know, I, I, fine, but you know what? Why don't we show pictures of your grandchildren? I mean, the, the thing, what I'm trying to get at is you and I, we love to spend time in the things that we love. And that's why it's, it's important, you know, for you who are married, that you're saying, hey, I, am I spending time with my spouse? You know, I, I've said that I love her or him. Is, is that evident? And thus it relates also then to your walk with Christ. A love for him, it, it's something that there's time invested. So, All right, to love God with all your mind. That's the challenge set before us as we go on this day and through the week. Your thinking really does matter. And your individual assessment of yourself is really necessary. Stop and think. Does uh, self-promoting, self-guarding, self-honoring thoughts dominate my mind? Let me say that again. Do self-promoting, self-guarding, self-honoring thoughts dominate your mind? The thoughts of, you know, this life and the anxieties of this life starts, you know, quickly coming in when when we think in those terms. So here's what I have to say. As a pastor encouraging the people here, stop that habit. Just stop it. How? How? I want to, you're saying, yeah, Woody, I want to glorify God in my life and, and think and love him with all my mind. How do, I, how do I go about doing that? Okay, here it is. And some of you have heard this before, but we have to, we'll say it again because repetition is, is critical here. You know, to stop those kind of mental habits and, and gain more in regards to glorifying God in your mind and loving God with your mind, speak truth to yourself. Speak truth to yourself. I've said this to people before in my office. You're listening to yourself. You're not speaking truth to yourself because they're talking about, you know, problem or whatever. And some of it's legitimate problems. 
But you've got to stop listening to yourself and start speaking truth to yourself. And in this case, speak truth about the character and attributes of God. Okay? That's where we've got to go, folks. To love God is your highest calling. To love God with all your mind starts with spending time in his word and talking to him in prayer. More than not. (laughs) Pray without ceasing, right? Listen, I've not arrived. Today is another day to say, God, please help me. All of us, we're in that same boat. We say, God, please help me. And for your glory, whatever, you know, we want to add to that. And then may my life demonstrate more and more loves because God is great. God is great. So here we go. This is basically like foundational kind of stuff. Now we take off and we want to carry on with this understanding of who God is better and better to stoke the fire for love, for worship, and for evangelism. Right? Think of the, the nicely boys when they met <laughs> the, girl, the Becker girls. Think of it. Oh, my goodness. You know, glowing. That's all they could talk about. I know. I had to get another one in. <laughs> but you know what? That's, I, I just love it when someone's so excited about what God's done. I want to join in on that and I want to encourage them and I want you to, you know, be excited about what God is doing. God is great and God is good and God is faithful. And these are the things that we need to keep saying to ourselves, keep reading about and studying and lifting him up. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We pray that we would be a people growing uh, to love you more and more. Forgive us, Lord, for loving the things of this world more than loving you. We admit that. And we pray that you would help us to grow, to love you and serve you with you in mind, with your glory in mind. What a great God you are and what an amazing gift of salvation is ours in Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would work in your, in your wonderful way in the lives of people that don't yet know you, that are maybe holding you off, that are not... Uh, concerned about honoring Christ in their lives. I pray that, Lord, you'd soften their hearts, show them your unfailing love, and really we recognize that you already have through Jesus dying on the cross. Guide us and grow us in these things. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.